Good morning. Welcome. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, if you want to turn in your Bibles with us, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 24. So why don't you go ahead and stand. I'll read Luke chapter 15, 11 through 24. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 says, Then he, Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Verse 14, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for um, fathers. I thank you for stepdads. I thank you for um, foster dads. I thank you this morning for grandparents that care for kids and grandkids. And Lord, I ask that you'd lead us through your word, encourage us in the difficult tasks of being a father, and uh, direct us in ways you want to adjust how we father. So we commit our time to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the greatest... Um, uh, greatest blessings we've my wife and I have ever had is having our four kids. I think we have a picture of our four kids. Two of them uh, live here and attend here at Calvary, and two live in Spokane. Then the next picture is our 11 grandkids, and I really, I, I should have shown the video. We just got back from a family vacation. I should have shown the video of trying to get 11 small children on a couch to smile and look like they're happy. That, that was, but as we look into these verses in, in, uh, Luke chapter 15, I'd like to try to draw out five things that great dads do. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11 says, Then he, Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. The son pretty much asked dad, he said, Hey, I'd like to have the inheritance, but before you die, I'd like to have it now. And the dad and, and the very first thing I see about a great dad, he, he heard his son out. You know, so often it's hard to hear our, our kids out, especially when it's a tough ask. He heard him out, and then secondly, he said yes. So the first thing I see that great dads do is they're good listeners, even when their son or daughter's asking something radical. Um, Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter, and this is a tough one for me. I don't know about you guys, but this is a tough one for me. He who answers a matter before he hears it is folly and shame. I've heard that verse many times because I do have that tendency. I've heard that verse many times, but I, I, I was thinking about the two words in that verse, folly 
and shame. What it's saying is when you're not a good listener and you answer before you even hear everything, you might make a really unwise choice, the folly. And the shame, it might be revealed that you are arrogant because you don't feel like you need to even listen. One of the um, commentators, Kidner, said something I thought was great about this verse. He said, for those who answer before they hear, he said, this is the special snare of the self-important. Man, being a, being a dad, greatest thing, being a good listener, but listening is hard work. I was searching the uh, web for an illustration about bad listening. And I found, I mean, the thing that kept coming up was this T-shirt for sale. And the T-shirt says, my wife says I have two faults, not listening to her and something else. <laughs> and I mean, the... The challenge of listening. Being a great, great dads are good listeners. I was, I picked up, I, I found an old video of my, myself talking to somebody many, many years ago when my kids were little. I don't even know who I was talking to or what was so interesting. But at my feet in the video, and I hadn't seen the video for years, one of my kids is just going, daddy, 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 daddy. And, and I look, I look back now, I look at Whoever I was talking to, I'm sure it was important. And it's important to teach our kids to be respectful and not to interrupt. But who is the most important person you want to be listening to? If you have younger kids, I would encourage you, be a good listener. And sometimes you have to force yourself to pay attention and to listen because what they're asking for, it's not in your world, it doesn't make sense. It's not that big a deal. But in their world, it is a big deal. So sometimes we have to force ourselves to pay attention to what our kids are asking. Another proverb, Proverbs 20, verse 5, uh, says, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. What's going on inside our kids' hearts? Some of the commentary, commentaries on this talked about um, the counsel. It's talking about the plans that they're making. Our teenagers, our, our youth, our young adults, our adult children, the plans that they're making. The other, the other thing it talked about is their purpose in life. Our kids are deciding what their plans are, what the purpose in life is, and it's like drilling for water in the desert. It's hidden deep inside their hearts. And when we listen, I mean, we know that, right? We know what it feels like to be talking to somebody and then they're just ignoring us. They're looking at something else. They're not paying attention. They're not focusing. And immediately you know that when someone stopped listening to you. We, we all do it, right? This is a problem. This is a challenge. But it makes you feel not just like what you're saying is not important. It makes you feel like I'm not important. And we want to draw that deep water out of our kids' heart. A great dad, great dads are good listeners. Amen. So practical tips to listening. Don't let yourself be distracted by all the stuff, your phone, TV, the games. Take your kids out to coffee. It's a truth serum. Take your kids out for coffee. Don't lecture when you're out to coffee. Uh, and then James 1.19, just a simple advice. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. So first thing in our passage is right out of the gate, the great dads are good listeners. So great dads are good listeners. Secondly, great dads say yes often. Verse 12, and the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. 
So he said yes, and he divided them, he divided his livelihood, he gave them his inheritance. So I'm not talking about Jennifer Gardner's movie, um, Yes Day, where for the entire day, the kids, the parents have to say yes to everything. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about great dads aren't pre-programmed to say no just because it's convenient. Pre-dads aren't pre, great dads aren't pre-programmed to say no just because it's convenient. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if they still do this, but when I was a kid and I went to the doctor, they had this little hammer with a little rubber, rubber triangle thing, and they'd have you sit on the little paper bench, and they'd tap your knee, and your knee would jerk. And it's a, it's a reflex. What's happening there is that tap on your knee, that stretching of the muscle, it's not going to your brain and your brain is saying straighten your leg. It's bypassing your brain, goes straight to your spinal cord and there's a response and a knee-jerk reaction. Hey, we might be falling straight, not your leg. Dads, I mean, four kids, I can remember there were points where, can I have a glass of water? Can I have another glass of water? Can I have a pet? Can I have a dog? Can I have a cat? Can I have a pet dragon? And as a, as a reflex... Just to protect ourselves? It's like, no. It's like, it's like that little hammer on your knee. No, no. And we can become dads who have a knee-jerk reaction to say no to everything. And I would say to, you, to us, I mean, I, don't, I have grandkids now, so I don't have to say no to anybody. <laughs> everything is yes. But for you guys that are still dads, load up the emotional bank of yeses in your kids' lives. Because it gets harder to say yes when they get older. Can, can you get down on the floor and give me a, and play horsey? That means you've got to get out of your recliner. Your back hurts. You're tired. You know, that's a big ask. Let's make a tent. Get the tablecloth and put the sheet over it. Make a tent and get a lantern. And That's a big ask. But, but your teen, if you're at the stage where you've got younger kids, your teen is going to ask you, can I go with my friend who just got his driver's license and go on a, a little road trip? That's a big ask, and it's easier to say yes when they're little. Load up their emotional bank with yeses when they're little, and you'll regret it if you decide to die on the wrong hill. Like, I made almost an ethical issue. I'm embarrassed to say this, but I made, like, this major issue out of not putting the inflatable pool on the grass because it would kill the grass. Or they could have it up for a day, but not for two days, because it's going to kill the grass. Don't choose the battle. Choose your battles wisely and say yes when you can. Now I've pulled out the grass, I put in a cement pad as a foundation for the inflatable pool for the grandchildren, but <laughs> choose your battles. Because sometimes you have to say no. Dads, we know this. Sometimes you're going to make your kids cry. Sometimes they're not going to talk to you for a week. Sometimes you're going to say, this is what the Bible says, and I cannot not do that. And you're going to say no, and you're going to be that dad that has to do that because it's morally correct, it's biblical values, it's, it's the right thing when talking about character. And uh, sometimes you, you, you just have to say yes because it's that time when your kids have to learn on their own. And I don't know, in this story, we're not, in this, we're not told, did the dad know the character of his son that as soon as he gave him 
all the money that he had slaved and worked and invested in the equity in the house and all that he had done for an inheritance for his next generation, did he know when he gave it to his son he was going to go blow it all? I don't know, but there's a time when we have to say yes because it's time for our kids to, to learn on their own. So the last part of this one is say yes more often because God is not a great big no. And we know that. Those of us that have walked with him for years, Genesis chapter 2, 16, this is a perfect example. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every, verse 16, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Pineapples, papayas, apples, pears, sugar cane that's just growing up and you break it open and you chew it and sugar comes right out of it. All of this that I created for you is a yes. And, and he said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in, that, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There are those times when dads have to say no. But I would encourage us to fill their tanks. Ephesians 6.4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. But bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke them by saying no as a knee-jerk. If you're a knee-jerk no dad, at some point your kids will stop coming and asking. Their little hearts will stop hoping. And that's not what great dads do. Great dads represent hope. So when they ask for stuff, it's not just that we want it to um, not bypass our brain. We want it to not bypass our heart and ask the Lord, God, is this something I can do for my child today? Could I bless them today with this? So great dads are good listeners. Great dads say yes often. Really big one. Great dads model repentance. So verse 13. We're in Luke chapter 15. We're kind of going verse by verse through Luke chapter 15 and then throwing in some other verses to illustrate it. Luke chapter 15 and verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So he wanted to get away where his dad wouldn't see what he was doing. That, that was, I think, get away. He wanted to be in a place where his dad wouldn't see what he was doing. And in this part of the passage, we're not told specifically what wasteful things he did. Prodigal means wasteful. Interesting thing, we're not going to cover it today because the older son is another message, but the older son struggled with self-righteousness. And the older son's self-righteousness wanted to make sure the dad knew, yeah, you know, when we talk about wasteful living, he was with prostitutes, dad. The, the self-righteous always wants to rub the nose in it of those people and what they've done and how bad it's been. That's another story. If you're interested in that, uh, go to Calvary Chapel Association's website and listen to Alan Redpath's uh, teaching on the older son. It was great, great teaching. But anyway, we're on chapter 14. Then he went and spent all there was a severe famine in the land. He began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that swine ate and no one gave him anything. His money ran out and coincidentally, but not so, literally coincidentally, his friends ran out. And then the choices that he made intersected with the laws of nature. And that happens. He made bad choices. And the laws of nature that the famine happened at that time. Just like there's laws of nature, the stock market, the different things that, that happen all of a sudden. And in that intersection, he's made bad choices there's a famine, and he finds himself hungry, 
and doing a job that was humiliating. And I want to make very clear, he, he's doing a job that's humiliating, not because it's an entry-level job. Feeding the swine, there's not a, if you're working and we're working, that is honorable. When I was in Bible school, I was 25 years old, I was raking leaves to provide for my family. It's honorable to do any work that you're doing, but it, he was humiliated because in his culture, in the Jewish culture, to do anything with pigs, with pork, was unclean. And so now he's humiliated, he's hungry, and in that moment, verse 15, then he came to himself and said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and, and I perish with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Hunger and humiliation can be what clarifies our brain. He could see it clearly then. And then I want to ask the question, when do you rehearse what you're going to say? Because I, I see him walking down the street going, Dad, I'm going to, and he's practicing what he's going to say to his dad. If you get in a fight with your wife, you definitely are driving home from work going, okay, and then the golf clubs were on sale, and I, and I you know, and I, you're practicing what you're going to say because it's important, and you want to get it right. When I was in Panama, I remember learning Spanish, and one of the things I had to do is I had to go to the bank, and it was always so embarrassing because they could tell if you couldn't speak well, and I would stand out in front of the bank, and I would go, quisiera hacerme cambio y quiero depositar, and I would try to practice. The son is practicing and rehearsing because it's, he wants to get it right, and it's really important, and he nails it. He nails it. He says, he says, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He's not just saying, I got busted, Dad, and now I need the place to stay. He says, I want to get right with God. I've sinned against heaven. I want to get right with God. He nails it. Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, completely erased, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Just wrapping up this whole idea of great dads, model repentance. When, you're little, when your kids are little, you're Superman. You can do no wrong. You're not, you're not a... You're not a dad that's struggling to slay the dragon of work and the car and all, this, all the things you're struggling with. You're Superman. But as you get older, as not as you get older, as your kids get older and they start to enter into those teenage years, yeah, the Superman kind of, it's like dad has struggles. Dad has issues. Dad sins. Dad does stuff that he shouldn't do. And that is where if you model repentance for your, for your children, you give them, you unlock the keys of salvation and relationship with God in the humility of humbling yourself and being broken. And if you don't, what you teach your kids, just fake it. Just fake it. They know that we have our issues, and if we don't model repentance, then we teach them just fake it. Um, I was in Panama on the, on the very first mission trip I ever went on. Probably the, it was the mission trip that changed the trajectory of my life, and this story changed my, my life. One of the, the team lead, Dave Knapp, was the team lead for the trip, and he had a teenage son. We're working in the tropical 10 degrees above the equator in Panama mixing cement. And he got frustrated with his teenager, and he said something to him. 
I don't even remember what he said, but he, he lost it, and he, he let go of something he shouldn't have said with his teen, and the next day, we're all together at the, um, the team meeting, getting ready to do cement for the next day, and, and Dave stood up, and he said, hey, before I say anything today about what we're going to do, I want to apologize for the way I treated my son yesterday, and I went, wow, you know, coming from sort of a broken background and not a, not a Christian home, and then that night, just adding to that, they played the dating game, and Dave had to leave the room, and his wife answers the questions, and he comes back in. He knew everything about his wife. He knew every question. I'll tell you, today I'm in the ministry partly because of that testimony of a healthy family. And so great dads good, are good listeners. They say yes often. They model repentance, and then uh, they watch and pray. So Luke 15, verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. The, the prodigal son, the younger son, he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Great dads watch and pray for their kids. The assumption here is that how did the dad see him a far way off? He was looking for him. He didn't forget about his son. He was out there looking for him. He was look, scanning the distance. He was watching and praying. Uh, when our kids are little, we pray for them. We definitely pray for our kids. But we're with them all day. We see what they're doing. We correct them. We train them. We model life for them. We're there with them, and that prayer is important, but we're there. They get older. They start hanging out with their friends. They start going out on dates. They start going out, staying out later at night. We don't know what's going on. And, and prayer, watching and praying, our job starts to shift. And then finally they become adults and our job transition is complete. And we watch and pray like the night watchman. The Bible talks about a night watchman. The night watchman is staring out into the darkness but attentive in case something might happen. And as our kids grow and become adults, we, can't, we don't know all the stuff that's going on in their lives, even as they become older teens. But we've turned into this night watchman that's praying. And then I want to share a couple of verses out of Job. Job chapter 1 and verse 4. I think they're on the screen. Um, Spurgeon taught a whole sermon on these two verses. And his sermon was about how we as believers can celebrate with our families and have these great feasts and these great times to celebrate. But it, it spoke to me about this whole idea about our ministry changing and being a watchman. Job chapter 1 and verse 4 says, And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, maybe birthdays or, or celebration days. His kids got together and they had these really fun parties. Job's adult, I think it's his adult children. Each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and, send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning, and he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Man, Job got it. He was watching and praying for his kids. That, that sacrifice that he made, that symbol pointing towards Jesus' death on the cross, and remembering his kids and concerned that maybe they were, they were struggling, that things were going on in their lives. 
he became that night watchman. Um, when, I, when Wendy and I got married, we went on our honeymoon. We went to uh, downtown Seattle, stayed in a beautiful hotel, and it's been our first night on our honeymoon. Then we drove to the ocean, and Wendy's dad had a friend that had this really cool beach house. And so we stayed in the beach house. We we're going to stay in the beach house. We left. We got to the door of the beach house, and um, I'm kind of fumbling with the key to get the door open, and the phone starts to ring. So I get the key open. I, I get in. I, went in, I pick up the phone, and I'm pretty sure Bill, Wendy's dad, was expecting to get Wendy on the other side of the phone, not me. Because after our first night of our honeymoon, I answered the phone, and Bill was kind of a little bit awkward. He goes, uh, uh, how's it going? Uh, you know, and, and we were, both of us were a little bit taken back. I knew Bill really well. I loved Bill. Bill was the, the, the most amazing father who always was watching and praying. All he was calling about was he wanted to make sure that I got the right key and I found the right condo. And he just, that's dads. Dads don't forget their kids. They, um, the, the love that they have and the care that they have, they're, they're just right there watching and praying for their kids. But I think at that moment, both of us sort of realized there's a shift that happens when Bill's no longer the one that needs to worry about the key or the apartment or did I, get, did I change the oil on the car. I worry about that now. I mean, there is, there's a shift in our kids. So great dads are good listeners, say yes often, model repentance, watch and pray, and then the last one, they give extravagant grace. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So this, this son had been working in a hog farm, I don't know if anybody has experience with hog farms. We lived in northern Canada for a while and lived in an area that was primarily hog farming. So I spent a little bit of time after church. We always go to people's houses, and then they always wanted to show me their this, this amazing hog farms, and I went to some of these giant hog farms. You know, sometimes it made my eyes water how hard it was to be in some of those places. And this son has been out of money. He's been working on a hog farm, and he's been traveling, and he comes back. When his father finds him, I don't know what he smelled like or what his hygiene was like, but his father fell on his neck and drew him in close, and he kissed him. And our Father in heaven, when it comes to our sin and our junk, all the things that we get into, there's an extravagant grace that the Father had that, that illustrates for us what it's like to be a dad. So my encouragement, enjoy your kids even when they're not perfect. And don't let, don't let some of their stuff that they get into, don't, don't let it hold you back from coming in close, giving them a big hug, and giving them a kiss. And he gives them a robe. He, does, he gives them these gifts that sort of speak of your question about whether you're going to come back just as a worker 
or whether you're fully restored to the family, the gifts speak to that. The best robe, the signet family ring, the hired servant that was not that important in the home, that was not um, part of the family, probably didn't have shoes. So when he gives him the sandals, that's a statement. Son, you're fully restored in the family. And then he, then he gets the fatted calf. Now here's the part for Father's Day. Okay, now I don't know about you guys, but for me, Father's Day means barbecue. Okay, it means something that, like I go, I, my, my freezer, I buy meat all the time because I have a big extended family and there's always meat. But there are different categories of meat in my freezer. Okay, now you guys, you guys that, go, that, that like meat, that like, like USDA prime choice, there's some really nice meat in the freezer. And then there's some stuff that I got kind of discounted. At, I won't say the store, but there's, there's different qualities. This is the fatted calf that's been fed to be the most flavorful, the most. And the son has hurt the dad deeply. You wasted my entire life's savings. The equity in the house, in the farm, you wasted it but he comes back broken to the Lord. And the father does not let the hurt keep him or rob him from being extravagantly gracious. He, he brings out the fatted calf. I was, in a, I was in a hammock the other day with one of my grandsons. Poor Judah, he's going to be the illustration for the next five years. I was in a hammock with one of my grandsons. And we're rocking out in the backyard. There's a little sliver of sun and it's a sweet moment. And I I'm snuggled with him. I kiss him on his head, and I say, Judah, Opa loves you. And Judah looks up at me, and he says, Opa, can you get out of my hammock? <laughs> First of all, it's my hammock. It's not his hammock. But our kids have the capacity to hurt us and to rob us from being able to be like God. God is not like us. His feelings aren't hurt that we struggle with sin, that we get into difficult situations. He loves us. He's extravagant in his grace. Grace is that undeserved gift. The younger son wasted the father's hard-earned inheritance, and the father did not let that hurt rob him of grace. Um. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And really, I want to close with, with Romans 5.8. When, when you are, as a dad, called upon to give that extravagant grace, and you don't have it within you, you need to find the extra gear. You know what I'm talking about? When you're riding on a bike, You've geared down to the lowest gear that you have and the hill's too high. You can't make it anymore. You need one more gear. That extra gear is God's grace for you, for me. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still completely um, unattractive in our sin and in our in our. In our problems, that's when Jesus died for us. So let me pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Let me pray. Um, I'm going to pray these five things for us, and then the worship team can come up. And Father, I pray for um, your word to speak to us today. God, I pray for the 
the power of your Holy Spirit to take those of us who struggle to be good listeners, who just at our core are thinking about what we're going to say and, and struggle to be good listeners. God, would you cause us to be able to look into the eyes of our children and draw out the deep things in their hearts because we truly hear them. Father, for those of us who are um, almost knee-jerk reaction to say no, almost saying no, not even listening to them, not even thinking if we could meet their needs. God, let us have so much fun with our kids and teach them so many ways that all that you've done, all the good things you've created for them, for their good are yes. That when we have to say no, their emotional banks, their hearts are filled with yeses. Would you teach us to um, be dads who are authentic? And as our kids especially get older, that they would see what it means to say, I was wrong. I sinned. I, I need a Savior. That they would learn how to have you as their Savior because we modeled that for them. Father, teach us to be men and women of prayer, especially dads, Lord, to be men who like, it says that in, in, in Isaiah, it says that we are engraved on the palms of your hand. You could never forget us because we're engraved on the palm of your hand through the cross. God, help us to remember our kids and to be in prayer for them. And Lord, when it comes to the extravagant grace, only you can do that, Lord. When we hurt deeply or when we've been hurt, only you can cause us to have that extra gear and love beyond anything we have and show grace beyond anything we have. So, Father, I pray you bless our fathers and bless, bless our church, we pray in Jesus' name.